join me today in our trip to outer space? Yeah. Albert Shivers. The Matrix doesn't happen. That's very true. Come along quietly or not. The general concept is that creativity flourishes in a in an atmosphere of freedom. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I am Albert Shivers, and I may not be the most downloaded, but I've downloaded the most. I'm ex- very excited for this episode today. We have a bunch of people on the show today for a roundtable, which is my favorite type of podcast. You will join me as I sit around the kitchen table with a bunch of returning guests to talk about local history and specifically Native American history. I'm joined by Sean artist extraordinaire Don Wilson who's been on the show a bunch he is our most recurring guest and deserves every episode he's been on and I'm excited to have him on again we're also Tom Dente is back on the leader of the band Pow Wow and another member of the band Pow Wow and my good buddy and right hand on this podcast through all 99 episodes Isaac Wilson is back as well as some very special lady guests, Mary, Emily, and Kim, who I'm a little partial to. They jump on the show, and together we just have a fun time talking and conversing. And I'm going to say it again, I really enjoy the roundtable episodes. You know, I grew up around a big kitchen table, big family events with everybody talking, and... I like when I have these episodes that bring me back to that feeling. Give me that nostalgic vibe of just a bunch of people off the rip talking about things. I throw a topic in the middle of the table and everybody chews on it. Before um, we get to the episode, I just want to... I had something happen to me this morning I wanted to talk to you about, get your opinion on... Um, got a call this morning. My friend Kim Jong hit me up and asked me if I can come over later and help him nuke the Chinese. And I, I don't know what to make of it. I just hope he was talking about putting the leftovers in the microwave. Um, I'm really not sure what he meant. Uh, it's May. It's early May. May 11th is when I'm recording this. Mother's Day is right around the corner. It's coming up this Sunday. Which means for me, it's time to go in the closet and dust off the old Ouija board. And I'll take that for a spin this Sunday. So um, enjoy it. Enjoy the holiday. Um, I just want to remind you guys, you can find out more of what I'm up to on Instagram, at Albert Shivers. And of course, www.albertshivers.com. This coming weekend... Powwow will be playing Froggy Days Festival in Narrisburg, New York. There's a bunch of other bands that are going to play. I recommend going to see Powwow, but you may also find other bands you like. It's going on all this weekend, but I'm telling you, go Saturday, see Powwow, see the other bands. There's a bunch of vendors, a lot of cool stuff going on. That is this weekend. Go check that out for the sake of Powwow. And last but not least, 
The secret word for this episode is Connecticut. Like the state, Connecticut. Throughout the conversation, if you hear the word Connecticut, timestamp it in the comments below. First correct timestamp gets a shout out in the next episode. And like I said last time, if this starts to catch on, I'm hoping to hand out some prizes to the first correct timestamp. Anyway, enjoy this episode with Sean, Don, Tom, Isaac, Mary, Emily, and Kim, uncut and unabridged after these messages. This country's taken some hits lately. But when we get hit and are down, we don't stay down. We get up and we hit back with our fists or our nunchucks. And then, when we're done hitting and we're tired, because nunchucking can wear a guy out, we sit down on a couch. An American couch. A couch town couch. You are listening to the first station on your dial. WCNW, operating on a frequency of 1,500 kilocycles in Brooklyn, New York. So we're here, another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast, and everybody is here. This is going to be a local history episode and I have some of the best local historians so I'm excited that we're all here around the table and we're going to start with Sean and he's going to talk about the Doan brothers and you could just I guess they were from around here they were from Bucks County and they were Quakers and they were highwaymen during the Revolutionary War and if anyone remembers anything as I'm going, just chime in with it because okay. I'm, I'm having a mentally challenged day. But as I recall, um, it was five brothers and a cousin, but they had other people that ran with them. And I think at their largest, they might have been 13 or 15 people. And uh, they were, I, a lot of people say they were Tories. But uh, from the older stuff that I read, they were more opportunists, and everyone says they, you know, stole horses from the colonists and sold them to the British. But you don't hear in the, you know, later stories written in this century that then they'd steal them back from the British and sell them to the, you know, Americans, and that went on back and forth, and they, you know, rob anyone they could, wigs and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess they got upset. It was in the 1870s supposedly one of the American Whig tax collectors went after the family farm. 1770s. 1770s. Yeah, did I say 18? Yeah, okay, 1770s. Yeah, early 1770s. Thanks. Yeah, the, um, what did he do? Yeah, it caused him quite a bit of trouble, and they started, they started, you know, robbing people, and they were pretty successful with it. And uh, there's supposed to be a couple million dollars worth of colonial money stashed multiple places. But a lot of it supposedly is up and down the Delaware from Point Pleasant, Pennsylvania, where it runs into, uh, there's that big creek or river that runs into the Delaware there. And then further up, uh, Robsville area, there's the cave just north of you. And then there's another cave north of Easton. And then there's, in Berks County, there's supposed to be stash places, which is kind of fun. And uh, what else? And a lot of the places aren't, like, now it's not lawful to access them, right? Not, probably nowhere. 
I, okay. I would guess because it's it's all either private property or state property, and I'm sure you know. How do you spell the name of these places? It's on the tombstones. A lot of them, it's just D O A N. But in the Dawn. books later on, you see D O A N E. So, mm -hmm. yeah. but uh, but dome. However, whoever spelled it, but dome D O N. But um, I'm, I'm trying to remember the uh, head guy's name, and I I'm, I'm going blank, but. Uh, the leader of the group, he was the guy that delivered on the night of, uh, you know, Washington crossing the Delaware. He crossed somewhere much further north, like probably Easton area, right around there. He crossed and rode his horse all the way through in the middle of winter while Washington's bringing all his stuff over that. Oh, the colonial the colonial guys went all the way up to Belvedere and grabbed every every boat. They every Durham and there boat. was all kind of hustling going on. With yeah, the boats right. from what I've read and understood. Right. And they dragged all the Durham boats Durham down boats. to Washington Washington's Crossing. Yeah. So he got wind of it and buying all these boats. There's stories that he like jumped in the river with his horse and went across that way. But however he got across, took a boat, whatever he did, I don't know. Grabbed another horse on the other side, rode from like up in the eastern area all the way down to Trenton in the middle of the night and it's not like there's big highways or anything there you just had to know the trails and stuff and got down there to uh, the Hessian general at the barracks at whatever four or five in the morning and they had been partying all night and he's like fuck that nah, you know care. I think look at it you can read about this mm -hmm. I heard this story he went but, there and warned them and ate it and they were like whatever that was, that was the head of the dome gang that delivered the message he probably thought it was worth money yeah, yeah, because yeah, again, highwaymen, opportunists, mm -hmm. and, uh, and eventually, they were kind of liked, but they got into a thing with a farmer in Phillipsburg, and they killed him, and at that point, the sentiment towards them on both sides just turned to shit, and then he was hung, a couple others were hung, a couple took off to Canada, and... Another one just disappeared. But, uh, and there were all kinds of sayings about them. Like, uh, you should never sneak up on a dome, and there's, you know, curses around them and stuff. And then, uh, if you were, like, you know, superhumanly adept at doing crazy shit, they would say you're either a devil or a dome. Huh. Yeah, because they were, I mean, these were the guys that would be on, you know, giant horses going full rip, gallop, and flying over right, fences, riding off of cliffs. Yeah. They were kind of like the James mm -hmm. Gang of, of the colonial era. Is there living relatives? Yeah. Yeah, it, 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 just looking up the name when I was trying to jog stuff in my head today, there's like companies and stuff that, you know, pop up in the area still That's with the name. Fun. But they were, uh, I don't know, they played quite a role going through that whole stretch and of time and I, do I recall them laying booby traps in the in the woods too or is that somebody else it might be somebody else but I'm sure they would I mean I'm sure what they did was just ambush yeah. you know they'd probably you know see a carriage coming right. and you know they'd just find the perfect spot and that would Short be it turn knock a tree down if you have a horse standing in the road whatever anything to get him to stop yep yeah. Yeah. and so yeah I, apparently they amassed they amassed a lot of a lot of wealth and there's a story in one of the things when I was, you know, looking for, I was, I, I'd always go off looking for treasures and stuff just for fun, because it's fun doing the history and the research and stuff. But I found out that one of the bigger caves up in the Easton area um, that they talked about was a mile north of Easton, 
And uh, I decided to go looking around there one day, and there's a quarry when you get a mile north of Easton. And if you climb up the you know cliff, there's a little trail that goes up and a couple little plateaus. When you get up to the highest level, there's a giant fracture cave right in the side, way up, halfway up the hill, going up towards Lafayette College. And uh, you, can, you can get into the first part, but you have to squeeze through. It's a really tight squeeze, and there's one rock that's holding back like 5,000 pounds of rock on the other side, all rubble, because, you know, fracture cave. But if you go through that, you can hear water running down, and it's about 20 feet deep down into that in the bottom part. That's supposed to be one of the places where there was uh, quite a bit of money stashed, but I guess they, uh, in quarrying out the stone, this is just my theory, but at some point in the late 1800s or early 1900s, there was a huge spill of colonial era gold and silver that started washing up on the banks north of Easton, um, just north of Easton, like that mile above. So it came out of there. Probably came out of there or, or something else. Maybe they were working on the canal, whatever it may be, but it, it got disturbed or maybe it was hidden right down by the river and big flood came and knocked it loose. But people were down there pulling coins out and you can still, if you go there, you know, and dig around with a metal right. detector, people hit colonial gold and silver and copper all along the Pennsylvania side north of Easton, which was probably from that stash. So that, that was in the 1950s, I think, when that happened. Was when it? People were down, yeah, okay. pulling out the coins okay. from the erosion. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So they were coming out of the bank up there. Yeah. And uh, that's wild. That's, that's as far as my brain goes right now, but there is supposed to be somewhere in Berks County a big stash, and up along the creek from Point Pleasant, Pennsylvania, which is like two-thirds of the way to New Hope on the Pennsylvania side from here. There's a creek that runs way up, and there's supposed to be some stashes or a stash up there. And Lord knows they could be all over the place, too. So, I don't know. That, that's a fun one. If anything else comes to mind about them, I used to know quite a bit more. Um, down there are some metal detectors, right? The underwater ones, there's probably stuff in the river that nobody got. Yeah, yeah, deeper spots. Yeah, if it was... Downstream and stuff, I bet there's all... Does a metal detector pick up gold? Oh, yeah. Silver? Yeah, non-ferrous, non-ferrous, ferrous, non-ferrous, what is it? Yeah, it, it depends, yeah, it depends where you set the discrimination on them, but uh, the problem with picking up gold is it's in the same range as aluminum, so there's so many pull tabs, you're going to dig four or five hundred tabs before you pick up a piece of gold, of gold, unless you're in a place where no humans have been, then you know, you know you're probably hidden. But uh, caps from all the way up from to Milford down there. But yeah, probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now if the river's low and you, you get you know a mask and fins and get a nice you know That's 400 right. 300 dollar, you know something you can go underwater with and just start scouring up and Low down that part of the smart. river, you, you may hit a pocket because like gold will hit the deep pockets and stick. So right, and, and it'll settle right into the mud down onto the bedrock. But, sure would. And you could probably pick it up a foot or eighteen inches down if there was a good bit of it. So. Yeah. I don't know. Now, what would ease into some Native American stuff, locally, yeah. type thing? So what? Let's just start with the basics. Is that what tribes were either up here, down, down your way, Don, Eastern yeah. area, and what what, what well, was as, cooking? As far as I understand, um, Delaware, the term Delaware River and Delaware Indians. It's, 
from a European name, basically. It's either French or German, I think. French, Lord so, Yeah, so the Lenape Lenape were the original people. That's what they called themselves. And so there were three there branches were three of clans, them. And, uh, I'm get well, there was the wolf, the turtle, and the turkey. So I'm imagining the turtle probably was in northern Delaware, southern New Jersey. The wolf was probably in the northern part. That's right. smart and thinking, the turkey, Don. maybe central New Jersey. I don't know what how they were laid out, but that's pretty clever. That you see. I know there, I was, think, a, I know there was a turkey, but it was three different animal names from everything I read. I've also right. read that like the Indians from the farthest north might not fully understand the Indians from the farthest south end of the Yes, of the correct. Tribes. They would uh, understand some words, but almost like Guatemalans and Mexicans. I, I heard a I heard a um, Lenape. Uh, man speak about a month ago at um, Lehigh University. There's very few people that can sp actually speak the language still. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't realize was that um, William Penn, who was credited with founding, founding uh, Pennsylvania and the city of Philadelphia, um, he, only, he was a Quaker and he was given a land grant, well, not because of what he did, but because of what his father did. His father was an admiral in the British Navy, and there were, they were fighting with the Dutch at the time, I think in the 1650s, somewhere in there. So Penn's father made a big name for himself. He was in favor of the king at the time. I think it was Charles II. On the other hand, William Penn was a rebel. He had met George Fox, the, the Quaker, and being a, a son of a wealthy uh, parents, he was given a mini tour of Europe in Germany, France, and Italy. And what he picked up on was the discrimination, the, the disparity of wealth. So he got to hang out with the wealthier classes, the dukes, the, the duchesses, the kings, and kind so forth. Kind of like forth. a European Siddhartha. Yeah, exactly. And he... Uh, he saw the poor, there was 90% of the people were, didn't have much, they were just scraping by, you know, sort of like today a little bit, right? And he, uh, he went to jail for about three months. He was in jail, they didn't know what to do with him because he was the son of a well-respected retired admiral. And uh, so, it, so, looks bad. so it looks bad. Yeah, so, yeah. but uh, the Duke of York who became James I, the King of England, wanted to help him out, got him out of jail, and said, look, I want you to go to the New World. We're going to give you this big track of land. Now, the Swedes and the Dutch were already in this area, right? And he said, and Penn said, yeah, great, I want to do that. And he took a lot of the Quakers with him. And he wanted to, um, he wanted to build a city, which is Philadelphia, became, all the way along the Delaware, like a 20-mile-long city didn't work out that way because land was already taken. He got ten of it. But uh, he wanted to call it uh, Sylvania, but his father's name was Penn, and the, the king insisted, I'm giving you this land, it's going to be called Pennsylvania, in honor of your father, not you. So he came here, and I forget the man who laid out the town, but basically they laid it out in a grid, you know, Market Street being the main street, uh, what would be south north and then never looked at it but i bet it's got that whole mason yeah thing but he would like dc yeah, but he would run you know he learned yeah i've mentioned the language because he actually learned Lenape, and there's a 
There's like 575 tribes today that are federally recognized. So you can imagine there's 20 million native people here right. between Alaska and the tip of South America. So you no, can imagine no, no, no. that's the, the low estimate on that. I think is like 120 million. Well, we don't we don't whole, really know. We don't know. There's right. there's a lot of well, you yeah. said South America, right? Yes. Yeah, pre contact South America to Alaska, pre contact was 120 100 million. million. Yeah, yeah, at and least they think 100 million. Contact, half of them were dead okay. within like 100 years, years or so yeah. from diseases. Okay. Going so that's through. why Europeans would land and find whole, just, you know, okay. half rotted villages that would have had 1,000 people and yep. there's only 50 people living in them. Yeah, right. And only a little part still operating. That was a common okay. thing, apparently. So, yep. to, to make a long, long so story, it, yeah. it did most of the. To make a long story short, he, he laid out the, the village, that, which became the city. Um, there were people obviously already there, that, as I mentioned, the Swedes, the Dutch, and other people, German, people from Germany. And uh, there were things going on. I don't want to go into the details. But Don, what year was that, Philly? When he, when 1670. So the Dutch were already, already here the in 1610. Company. They were here in they 1610 were, already. So oh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, this yeah. is interesting because the walk and purchase happened. And I know that like, was 1730. Things changed like between mm -hmm. the ownership because um, I, I know Van Wise down in Delaware Water Gap and their family came here then. Dutch. Okay. They're still down there. Yeah, the right. one farmhouse they used to work in. Really? Okay. It was built in 1730, but it was pretty amazing. Their story and on the records they are in the. Uh, on the muster call for the when the French and Indian War happened, they were in Shawnee. It talks about a side and a half of beef, twenty hats. It's all these things. Yeah, yeah their families in there. Right. And uh, they were Dutch then, and okay. they still were. So this was just before. Uh, well, they weren't Dutch no more because I guess uh, at, at some point that got given to. Yeah. It, he was English, right, William Penn? Yeah. 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 So we all know about marathon races and. Uh, there's a native man, a native elder, a Lenape, who's, uh, a European did a painting of him, and I, I put it into a mural I did, but he apparently signed on to this agreement, the walking purchase that you mentioned, right? Yeah. And what it was supposed to be was the distance from wherever, probably central Bucks County, to as far as a man could walk in a day, right? So this is what the natives said, okay, you know, how far can somebody walk in a day? Not that so, now, yeah. William Penn, unfortunately, Olympic had gone back sprinters. to England. He died in England. His wife took over the running of the city of Philly. She came back for 13 years and ran it. However, they had incurred debt. So I don't know which one of Penn's sons, but one of them, or maybe both of them, had the idea, we need money, we're in debt. Let's sell a lot of land to all these settlers that are bunched up on the river, right? And they were crying so, for lumber, too, correct? Exactly. Right. Lumber, farming, whatever. Right. And so the Native people that were there, probably in the eastern area, agreed. And what he did, he found the three fastest runners that he could find. Not only that, but he had uh, axemen go out and basically clear a rough path through a couple of weeks before through where they were mm. going to run. All right. So apparently, and according to this native person that gave a talk at Lehigh, you've all seen, you've been in races, all of you, a lot of you, probably all of you, or been looking at races. So when this happened, the, the natives didn't know this. There was a relay. It was a relay race. Right. And they went, God knows, 75 miles? I don't even know. Nobody seems to know. But here's the thing. There were people along the route the native people jumping up and down saying, 
No, there's no running. You should be walking, you know, and, and the settlers are going, eh, go it caused the war. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, and they probably went to the Lehigh at the Forks, you know, the Lehigh River where it enters the Delaware. And that was when uh, the Indians after that went burning up the Delaware River and they came through Stroudsburg. There's, yeah. Well, you can read about all this. Whole yeah, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Something early 1740 or 56. I don't know what year that was when they went nuts. They burned a yeah. house down here in 1756, I think. It was in Delaware. Yeah, 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 that's the about the right era. Was that, that was Valley. it. That all happened then, too, yeah, with the. Yeah. Like, it was just a big I think hundreds of yeah, so Indians went know, north was, from Bethlehem and burned everything they could on their way into what they went in New York and what General Sullivan. And that, that same. He chased them right yeah, after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the same well, era that was in the Southwest, the there was a huge uprising too where they routed out every single Spanish colony and drove them back down into Mexico, like, you know, from Arizona, New Mexico, everywhere through there. And I. I, I need to look up the dates and see, but it's very close to when that happened here. Probably, Probably not related. Sense. But yeah, it, supposedly, yeah, they burned everything, like every farmhouse and settlement that was from Scranton all the way down to Easton. You either just got up and ran and made it back to Easton, or you got burned out. Everybody ran to the closest fort at that point because they had at that point many forts from Bethlehem all the way to what? Where would they have gone to? Like to Milford, right? That was the chain yeah. of forts. Right. Mm -hmm. So whatever closest fort you were mustered to, that's where you would get to. Yeah. Hey, but even then, all the forts. I think all the forts were routed too. A couple like were. I, it, the one in Stroudsburg didn't get. We're going to build that chimney there. That's where they were all holed up. Yeah, that did not. That the one, one down there, there's one down, well, that in Kunkeltown, they have the grave where they killed that family, the German family. They killed seven of them, the kids and the wives and the huh. dad and killed them all. And I think they burned that one fort that was down there. Mm -hmm. You can read about all this stuff if yeah. you Google it all. Mm -hmm. I have, and I've gone to some of these sites. Pretty amazing. And then George right Washington, there, George Washington, after that happened, yeah, he, he said. He said Sullivan, and that was the. Yeah, yeah, that was terrible. I mean, he wiped he, them all out one blow, right? He sent them all yeah, the he way gave, up. He gave Sullivan a third of all his army right. to go up through and into New York State. And they, and that's they where Sullivan Trail the comes Native from. That cuts through here in the Poconos. Burned their villages. They went through the whole things. Wyoming Valley. And But I heard a lot of it, they had abandoned it because they heard that they were coming. But anyone they found was just axed. So my understanding is when they got up by Binghamton area, he detached the cavalry and ran them up the Hudson Valley. Okay. Causing trouble. And the Braves chased them. Mm. A couple thousand Braves. But they're on horses, so they're faster. Yeah. And the infantry went toward Troy and burned down all their corn stocks and went up toward the Finger Lakes and swung around and back down Erie. So okay. So the following winter, they said 30,000 Iroquois starved to death. Okay. So they didn't beat him in combat. There was really no but battles. Killed them yeah. Small skirmishes, but they, that's what happened to the Iroquois. Mm, okay. Totally wiped them out in one blow. And and the thing is, is um, so I think the Walk and Purchase massacres was different from the Sullivan campaign. There were yeah, like thirty okay. guys oh, yeah. apart, right? Yeah. Okay. About twenty years. Ago. I don't know that there was any reparation or any or any any like uh, 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 any kind of. I don't think they ever paid him back for the uh, Walk and Purchase. Oh, Massacres. I don't think there was no army went out and I don't know what happened to the Lenape. I know 68 treaties were broke on them and they're in yeah. four, four reservations around the country. Right yeah, now. they're mostly in, in Oklahoma, mostly in Oklahoma. Two in Oklahoma. Well, there, what this man said who was giving a talk, he said they moved, right, Mary? Did you hear that talk? No, you were in another place. Okay, yeah. you were in another talk. Um, yeah, the, he claimed they went over a period of 137 years. Imagine your family, right? Right. 
eight generations walking for 137 years they went to 30 different locations right and they ended up now touring oklahoma and i think one's in wisconsin for some reason and that's the, yeah some weird place in the yeah, north yeah 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 because so the families were walking were, all that, i'm sorry Tom. No, they were walking all that time going what they were being turned down at locations probably they made yeah it probably the you know you can stay here but don't stay too long maybe that okay. kind of thing or some of it was just straight up broken treaties like we're selling oh, yeah, this yeah, land they're exactly. like great and they get done they build their house and 20 years later they're like oh hey uh, you got to get out for whatever reason or mm-hmm. 68 you can look i think i think it was 68 different treaties signed and settled and there was a lot of different dynamics to how they got kicked out of each place and i think as it went some there's a small reservation in Jersey, I think, that some of the original tribes stayed there. They're still there. I don't know where do you know so where it is. Is that Berkeley Heights area? No, I don't have any idea where it is. It's I know there's a small one somewhere off of South. That, that's still like the original people. They never left, but some of them you can read about it. they'd go to one place and then some said, Hey, we're signing this treaty, and these ones said no, and then these guys got there was a couple wars when they were out in Ohio, Wright King or not Kelly Phillips War. What was the guy? In the 1830s, they started fighting the Davy Crockett era. Uh, some of the Lenape were Black, there. Black Hawk? Or, no, that was in uh, uh, Ohio area. Uh, fighting them more forever. Who was that guy? What's his name, man? Uh, yeah, a Sioux. A Sioux uh, warrior. Anyway, there were some Indian chiefs that started wars from the Ohio Valley. So some, some of the Lenape joined them. Some signed treaties after the war 1812 and went to Wisconsin. The rest fought again okay. and lost. Damn, I can't remember this guy's name. He was real famous. Anyway, yeah, and I think that's how they got split up because different families would sign different treaties for different reasons. Okay. You know, you guys are going to go with these guys and fight them, and we're not. We're tired. We're going to Wisconsin. So I, I think one of the one of the up. reasons that the Lenape Pontiac. accepted Pontiac's rebellion was Pontiac. Okay. Some of them sided with him. Okay. One of the reasons that the Lenape accepted the Europeans in general, I think, in the beginning, was well. There were a lot of Quakers. Uh, Penn brought a lot of the Quakers. They were the cool. They didn't friend, have They were nonviolent for the most part. Yep. But I, yeah, I don't want to go into that whole story. But the the Lenape were a matriarchal society. So if you were a man and you wanted to marry this woman that you were attracted to, you would go to your wife's family's house. The man would go to the woman's family's house and live there. So. Women generally are not known for starting wars through history. Amazing. It's usually the men. All right, we know that. So that's part of the reason that things were kind of cool. cool. They were kind of okay right. for a while, you know. I mean, he ran foot races with the natives, you know, Penn did. He, he got them, he learned their language. The Dutch and the Swedes yeah. and these guys lived here for like 130 years or something with them in relative right. peace, right? And right. Mm-hmm. My understanding, and I thought about this like, oh, conspiracies, but Ben Franklin, like if you read about, was it oh. Gnadahooten, when, uh, when, so the Quakers wouldn't allow a standing militia here, right? That's probably part and of it. Yeah. Ben Franklin and all these other guys are like, we need a militia here, and yeah. I, I don't know how this worked. There must have been the standing government of the time saying, no, 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 and then Gnadahooten burnt down and they killed the 10 Swedes there, and then when I read about this, like within 10 days, the army was there, and I go, Jesus, it would have took 20 days to tell anyone. So I think Franklin, I really think, and this is my crazy theory, he just sent his buddies up there to dress like Indians and burn a place down, and the army's right behind him. I swear. Well, when I read that, I go, the dates will match up. It was three months to get there, and they were there in three weeks. I go, these guys are up to no good. They wanted them Indians out. They were trying to get militias in here for 30 years before that. You can read about this. It's not even hidden. It's But that's my crazy conspiracy theory about our founding fathers, right? Yeah. 
Because right after that, then the militias came to be in Pennsylvania, and the Indians are bad, and we got to do something. And I think it had to do with lumber mostly and hides, right? Hides. Pelts mm -hmm. was a big thing. Europe wanted beavers can ass, and, right? I mean, what in Arizona they killed three hundred thousand beavers in like two decades or something. They dried up the whole river. And all of Canada that's, too. And that that's was all the uh, Canada. Ben, ben, ben Franklin, when he went to France right. to negotiate with the French king to send weapons and ships mainly to fight against the British. He wore beaver skin. That's hat. right, and they loved it. And everybody it. was like, "Wow, we got to have that." <laughs> yeah. Millions of beavers were killed just because yeah, of that. He'd be hustling. Because hustling. it was a huge commodity. Yeah, he was it was a huge commodity. And, you know, you go out in the woods, you shoot as many beavers as you can, bring the pelts back, yep. you make money. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame, but it's still going on. And the Indian Braves, you know, you got a gun all of a sudden. Like, if you know about, like, I think it was the Huron and the Iroquois. Once the Iroquois got guns, they had been fighting for, like, 100 years. Once they got guns, they whooped them in 10 years mm -hmm. all the way past Lake Huron. Right. So like you, yeah, I'll sell beaver hides all day long, man. Give me some guns, man. That's that, yeah. that's what happened. Well, the Europeans had a, a very um, low opinion generally of native people unless they got to know them. Because even in, in the Mexican War, um, in what was it, eighteen forty-eight, we took over what's now New Mexico, Arizona, and the Mexican government agreed. But in the agreement, our government said. Even though you're ceding this land to us, your government and our government has to combine and fight the savage Apaches that are mm -hmm. in this area. Right. Doesn't mm -hmm. matter that we just, you know, stole your land yeah. by force. Savages. They're going to help us get the savage in Now they call them know. terrorists. Yeah. They used to call them savages. So. Yeah. A fun tidbit, but, yeah. like slightly off topic, but going back to the root of the whole thing. The, have you ever heard of John White, the illustrator? Yes. So. Oh yeah, he's very uh, famous. 1580s yeah. or so. He. What's that? He drew the pics and stuff. Right? Yeah, he drew the pics, and uh, but they sent him up and down the the East Coast to chronicle everything and do sketches of all the tribes and all the things that were to be seen in the New World in the 1580s and bring them back. I would love to see that. And it, yeah, it's it's online. Well, here you go. I'll give you some pictures, but. He, uh, the first ones of a picked, um, it, how they used to tattoo them wow. themselves, well, probably but this is in the 1580s, but he did well, illustrations from, the from the Indian villages before they were all, if you scroll over one to the left or right, you'll get to a Native American, you know, one of his sketches. Um, there's a book and I've got it somewhere, but it, what's interesting in it is that they talk about how you would come into Indian villages in the 1500s up and down the East Coast here, and you couldn't tell that you weren't in a village somewhere in London because there was such a strong Anglo-Saxon influence in the people. And then you go back to um, 20,000 years ago, there were the Salutrian people yeah. in France. You might have seen that thing years yeah, ago. Yeah, we talked about this. And they supposedly came across some boats hunting seals and 20,000 years ago were populating the east coast of the United States. It only makes sense. And the, the, the reason, you, how you see that is in the, uh, the spear, well, the, the flint technology and the, the way they sheep their, their spear tips and their arrowheads and their tools. And the blue-eyed Cherokees. There's a yeah, whole, that whole thing. That was that influence from <laughs> over on this side of the pond. But the spear tips in France 20,000 years ago and arrowheads and just stone technology, the lithic technology of France 20,000 years ago, matches 
the pre-Clovis, like before Clovis stuff, you know about the Clovis tips that have yeah. the flutes put yeah. up them, and they were for hunting bigger animals like megafauna and stuff. Um, but before that, there's deposits on the East Coast that they find that are all Salutrian, like they're just dead matches for these points. They, they find in France from 20,000 years ago. Right? They, and didn't they didn't need to. Everything was there. And right. God, this land's got everything in it. And God, before, you know, all the cataclysm and disaster 12,000 years ago, it must have been like Eden here. So, I mean, it's still pretty nice. But, I mean, you know, imagine the whole East Coast goes out another 50, 60, 80 miles you know, into the ocean. Right. The oceans are 400 feet right. lower, right. and they're, they're still were. pulling up mammoth bones and megafauna bones off the Jersey coastline when they dredge. And that's not just the English Channel. They're all off of the Jersey coast sitting down there. Right. So, yeah, there's a, a strong chance, just looking at that, that in the 1500s that there was a strong, you know, genetic presence. I think they call it haplogroup X, but on the East Coast is kind of interesting, but all that's wiped out and eaten by history. And that's the most fun part about history, I think, is finding the shit that's been erased, but is there and there's evidence for. I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, if you're going to take the conspiracy angle. It's... The Salutrian theory makes sense. The one I read made the most sense was that when the ice sheets were breaking up, the hunters would be on them. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of people, men, women, children. And, you know, an ice sheet had the, the size of Rhode Island crack off and float to America, and they wouldn't know the difference. They're on the thing. They got their boats there. They're making fires out of fat. They live on this. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Well, the, and so they they're just going off, and there they are. Yeah, I mean that just there makes sense. There was yeah. like a wall of glaciers. I think supposedly twenty thousand years ago that would have gone from Nova Scotia, probably over to around England, All right around the world. I think. And like they were following the, the seals. Yeah, yeah. And they were following the seals across, and that, right. that whole thing got blasted pretty quickly. Whatever blasted it twenty thousand years ago. I mean, 12,000 years ago, 12,800, whatever it is. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's the idea behind the, uh, you know, the diversity that was sitting on this continent. And, and then 50,000 years ago, there was a genetic split, you've heard about this one, of the Aborigines, I think. It, well, you know, in the South Pacific, but um, there's a genetic tie to people in South America on the West Coast that's tied to the Aborigines in Australia, but the, di the divergence happened 50,000 years ago. So there were people sitting there 50,000 years ago that were moving through there and with the oceans lower like they were, you know, it was probably, there were more islands, it was easier to travel, you know, by boat across the South Pacific to that area. And then you did have Beringia and stuff. It would reduce the, 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 the frequency of the swells Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, 400 feet lower, 450 feet yeah, lower across the entire planet, planet with two-mile ice caps. All the way to Delaware Water Gap. Yeah. Amazing. Right? I, I mean, yeah, the world amazing. was so different. But, yeah, I, you know, they're all like, man, they only came here 12,000 years ago. But, I mean, they've got that one they pushed back right in Pennsylvania, in western Pennsylvania, to like 15,000 years ago. And now there's like mammoth kill sites in California 120,000 years ago. Yes. And then there's something with the diatoms in the soil in Mexico that puts it back in that range too, which I forget how that all worked because I saw that like 15 years ago. But it was interesting stuff. Anyway, interesting. I, I, I just, I had to throw some of that John White stuff in there because if you look him up and start, you know, reading 
through the book that goes along with all the illustrations and you know just taking their words for the accounts of they're like we can't tell the difference in some of these villages between walking through you know somewhere in the countryside of england you know as far as the genetics go so Who's it is, the it's been a melting pot. Do you know about the eclectics, no, Don? That, Do you notice in the 1830s, the church groups that were... I've, I've heard of them. I don't they were, know much they about were, them. You can find it. They were uh, documenting wow. medicine, food, all kinds of things about the Lenape. They, they knew it was oh, getting okay. erased, and they, they said... I forget what churches it was or what people, but they were in Pennsylvania, somewhere in mid-Pennsylvania. Hmm. They have a lot of history about the Lenape tribes and all right. different things. Yeah, there's always talk about how uh, we need to be prepared for emergencies, like a dire emergency where the electric grid goes down and we're basically out foraging and that kind of thing. It's 200 years ago all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, what the world has been for millions of years. So we would have to do that, but the Lenape did not need an emergency plan because they were living it. They had thousands of years to know the animals, their habits, what the, where they were. Yeah, they amazing. respected them. They needed them. They knew that. They knew they were the top species, the humans, yeah. But um, do you know the, the medicine, the, the medicinal plants, the plants that were used for food? Mm, the CBS was right in the woods. Yeah, you just go for a two-mile walk. Exactly, right. You have everything you but, need. So it was all here. They learned all that. They had their issues, they had their problems, but they were self-sufficient. Yeah, if they ran out of game or there was a dry season, maybe they moved uh, 40 miles or 50 miles, whatever. But they did a lot of trading. I mean, Pennsylvania has 83,000 miles of rivers and streams. The only state that has more than that is Alaska. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, that's cool. But about a quarter of them are compromised right now. Mm different types of toxins. Yeah, like some of the most watersheds, too, in the world. Like from here, you can go like to anywhere. You could go down to Mississippi, you could go out to St. Lawrence, yes. you could go down to Chesapeake. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah from the Ohio, the, the Ohio right, you River. You can go all the way to St. Lawrence. It's, uh, yeah. it's wherever the divide is. Schuylkill goes into the Chesapeake. Yeah. So they would go down to the shore a lot to meet the other Groups, the other clans, and uh, trade and hang out on the Indians, on the Atlantic. I think we're down there in the Chesapeake. Something. What's that book? Oh, what's his name? The guy that did Poland, James Missioner. He did the Chesapeake. Ever read yes, that? I did read it. Right, it's isn't a really that great? Good book. Something. Two or three reading. Yeah. Now, from my understanding, they said if the Europeans didn't come, it wouldn't be but a hundred years or so that the Iroquois would have had them all. But pretty much, the Iroquois were whooping them. Right? They had to pay tribute to the Iroquois. Isn't this true that yeah, they, had to they had call their, them women? They wouldn't didn't, let them. Didn't they have their own constitution, which we copied? Oh, some people claim that. I think so. That's that. what yeah, I heard. No, they, the, the constitution of the United States was modeled after the all the Appalachian tribes. There was a, an agreement, and there's a wampum belt. You can look up if you look up Native American constitution. That's. I'm pretty sure it's a language. I don't know how it works. I mean, everyone thinks it's wampum. It's bits of shells and stuff. But mm-hmm. if you look at it, it's it's, it's like a code. Pictograph, and, yeah. and it, it is a written language. And it's 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 the set laws of you know mutual respect between yeah. the peoples and up and down. down. People are just passing the tribes yeah. and yeah. halfway across and the, the country. And the founding fathers you knew about that, that. And they used that and modeled the American Constitution after the Constitution that was in place by the Native American tribes on the East Coast. 
I think what he's saying is that here, here's the thing. Mary just reminded me of this. The man that was Shut speaking up. that I heard at Lehigh, he, he's a professor there. Right? So, and there's two or three that are Native American professors there. They have their degree in anthropology or political science even. But he made a comment at the end. He said, we are coming back. And what he meant was he's trying to get young people, and they've already done it. They brought uh, a lot of teenagers in, over a period of time back to the Water Gap area because this is where this was their home then. Right. And uh, quite different than Oklahoma, if you've been in Oklahoma at all. Uh, so what he, what he meant by that, I think, is a couple of things. Physically, he's trying to bring young people back here to live here and maybe reinvigorate the, the philosophy or the values of Native people maybe in general because we have reached a point where, you know, if you go back three or 400 years ago, you were talking about this, uh, that we were pretty much self-sufficient. We brought what we knew from Europe, if our ancestors were from Europe, and most of them were. Um, we're at the point Zoom now where on, a lot of the shells, been, you'll see their been, white, uh, black is a language. A lot has been taken out of our hands. We don't. Most people don't have land to do farming or build their own houses. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Or even grow their own food. Yeah, right? it's pretty ridiculous. So I think that's part of what he was saying. He, we're at a point where we need to come back and look at what was a value in those people. And there was a lot in value. Of that I always value, say that the only people that are removed from their food production or ownership of is like slaves or prisoners. And America doesn't control one bit of its food. It's very, I mean, there's a lot of pepper and onion gardens and some tomatoes, but like, yeah, you're not going to run a culture on tomatoes no. and cucumbers. <laughs> no. You know, so yeah, no, you're right about what you're saying. This makes sense. Pretty neat. You've seen that before, haven't you? Yeah. I think, yeah. But the, uh, I don't know. Well, I'm sure they were familiar with it. They all had lived here for decades and were amongst these Indians right here. Yeah, the Iroquois it's, had some kind of constitution because they combined all them six tribes together So they, and they had some kind of written thing. Oh, that, was, that reminds me of the other thing. Um, so I've read, like in research I was doing in the Southwest, a research I've done back here, that there was a common sign language that was used across the whole continent. So even if you had different dialects, yeah. wherever you went, you could communicate. Amongst the Native Americans. Yeah. Amongst, yeah, the pre-Columbian, you know, people. You yeah. could get your point across. What was in Connecticut? What kind of Indians would have been up there? They were... Uh, I don't know, are you getting uh, into Mohawk? 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 No, no. Mohican and Cherokee? No, Mohican. no. Cherokee was Cherokee Tennessee. Tennessee. Narragansett. Narragansett. I think they were... They spoke a different language up there. Uh, I'm trying to. Th so I, they I've spoke been, out. No, these were Algonquin speakers, I think, right? Algonquin. Those were. I remember. Pretty neat, man, that all these different tribes lived here. Yeah. It really, I, I find it fascinating. Hey, I was telling um, Emily today. There's um, a Lenape burial ground right in Henryville that uh, my friend owns property oh, there, and we were there. They think it was in use for a few thousand years. They think it's about 8,000 years old, so it would have oh. been. It's really wild. You go through the woods, and it's, it's eerie. It's just these big mounds, and some of them have holes in them. And I guess mm -hmm. they laid the bodies on them. Animals would eat them, probably. So mm -hmm. It's kind of like the Buddhist thing with the yeah. birds. Throw them out. And my buddy, Zig, he's an older guy. He's like 
he's probably mid 80s but he says well there Tommy we thought when I moved here I thought that was a bunch of pioneers down there doing a fool's errand stacking rocks up some piles for whatever reason he said uh, somehow over the years or he, he lived there he grew up in there um, these are like those sorry they're like 12 feet tall perfectly like like built perfectly uniform with corners they look no corners they're round they look like turtle shells they're just domes but they, just, they yeah they like go up right it's yeah they go like up yeah. It's, yeah it's yeah it's not like a stone road that was just thrown there it's 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 built you can right. tell it's built uh he said he had the indian federal indian people come there eventually and they studied this and it's just the deal and uh there must be i don't know 20 mounds or so through the woods maybe on a 10 acre plot it's cool hmm. Hmm. That's yeah. right around here, right? Yes, yeah, like it. five, eight miles. And Jeff Henry, that lives over to the goat farm, was telling me about when they plow that one field, they get all kind of broken arrow pieces and spears. Like he has baskets at his house. He could go if you called him and asked, he would let you go there. He would do a podcast too. Like, okay. but he thinks it was a camp where they worked on arrowheads. And he's like, I could just see the guy because there's so many broken pieces. He if thinks there's a good flint. Oh, and, and they would there. just fling it. Yeah, just fling it and yeah. start again because there's all kind of broken tools. So he yeah. thinks either they were. So that's the discard pile from. Yeah, and they were. Like if they they would start with an arrowhead this big, eventually it would be this big. They, if it broke mm -hmm. off, they didn't just get rid of it. They would chip it down and make it smaller. Like we yeah. do with knives, right? A good mm -hmm. knife, eventually it's real tiny. So he thinks that's what they would do. And there's a spring right there, right by the one field. And when they plow it, you can see the two spots where there's fires because the dirt's this color. And right there, there's all this soot. And who knows how long they were there? There was I mean, a place. He's got baskets of pieces and mm -hmm. stone that's not from around here, like obsidian and these little mm -hmm. weird stones. Mm -hmm. Flakes. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was traded. Yeah, they, this obsidian came from the southwest. It That's would right. make its way all the That's way back right. here. And there was a huge, I guess, a huge gathering that happened. Maybe it was every 10 years or something right here in the Water Gap area. Yeah, like right in the Shawnee shows, area. Um, that was, uh, people would come from all over the country and trade. And it was like a, a set festival sort of had happened. Like right on the top of the mountain, one of those mountains. It, I think, I, I think it might have been down by the river. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're like, I guess the water gap. Mm -hmm. that one mountain on the PA side. But. I know, I, I remember Bill telling me, I don't know how long ago this was, maybe in the 80s probably it sounded like, but uh, he was working on, I guess, golf courses, and I think it was, mm -hmm. it was down in Shawnee, and uh, they were, they had an excavator going, and they got down eight or ten feet, and they popped up what they thought was like an old tire that was buried but it turned out it was a massive bowl that was sitting underground like 10 12 feet down and it, it was all textured and stuff and it had been you know it, it just it looked like a tire track to them so they figured oh what's this stuff and they're like throwing it around and then there was a somebody had found a mammoth in the area yeah and mentioned it to that Marshall's Creek they found a mammoth so he, they mentioned yeah, it to yeah. him and they gave him a piece of the stuff, and he's like, where is it? And that guy came and looked, and he's like, oh, what did you do? Because <laughs> they had just ripped right, it up right, and right. taken pieces and thrown it all over. But, I mean, supposedly that, that was going on even seven, 8,000 years ago back back here. So that's, you know, some of the history and how deep it goes. The Lord knows what was going on. If I had one thing I could do, it would be have a time machine. To know, yeah. I would. Yeah. I would love it from a bird's eye view. Yeah. 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 yeah, to just be able to go right there and look. The cool thing was about the Dutch, right? The Copper Road in Jersey, mm -hmm. and you could look into this, but the Indians here had copper. But the closest copper would have been what in the Mackinac Peninsula or yep. or Arizona or New Mexico, no. wherever it is. But these Indians had copper, so when they landed here, they said, "Ooh, there's copper," and somehow they thought there was copper in New York. 
So they came through the gap, I think, in 1604. Some of them were already... They came across the Hudson, too. But long story short, they looked for copper for, I think, 115 years and never found any. And if you go up to copper... the, the old Copper Mine Road. That yeah. road on the Jersey side yeah. goes yeah. all the way up. And it goes up, I'll, up, up. If you ever want to go, I'll take you straight There's to the There's all kind mines. of mines and stuff. They yeah. dug for yeah. 100 years right. and never found nothing. Yeah. The biggest one's right the on Indians the creek. Had it from but you go away. up like 100 feet onto the hillside of the water gap from the first one on the creek. What, it's an old mine? Yeah, and it, it go, I've been to the back of it. Now I want to go there. Gated off. It, it's awesome. Is this, um, you told us about this. It's yeah. like two levels and they dug down well, and nothing. Yeah, no, what they do, they're at the creek level because it's a deep gorge that goes like this. And you come up the creek and you can't miss it. It's right there. But that one's gated. But you go up about 100 feet and then you find another one that cuts down into the side of the hill at a 45 degree angle. You go up another 100 feet and there's another one. I think there's like five of them as you go up. And then you go from there. You have to just kind of follow your gut. You keep walking up into the hill from there. You get to a big open field. And that's a Lenape burial ground, and there's a bunch of white stones set all over the place in that area. I have there. to go there. That's a, How that's far awesome, up is it from what do you get off in Jersey it, side, it's right? It's a nice four or five hour day project. But I'm saying from like um, the bridge there at the and From gap. the bridge, you do that jug handle, you come up to the three minute light, you get through that. Maybe another six miles up, like that's it's like Frankie a ten minute Bigfoot. ride. Oh, that, that's where Bigfoot minutes. lives. We should go there. <laughs> there, there, was, there well, Frankie saw Bigfoot there for sure. Did he? Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he saw one. Well, I don't know. I mean, well, I, 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 I don't know what he saw. I, I wanna, I I'd like to. I'd like to sit <coughs> and bullshit with him at some point. because oh. that stuff's fun. Oh yeah. I won't He's go gonna, well, they were going to camp up there, and I wanted Isaac to get the night vision. We were going to make Bigfoot oh, noises yeah. in the woods, oh, but I thought, like, out. he'll yeah. start shooting. Yeah. They'll start I, shooting I can, in the dark. I was like, <laughs> we better not. <laughs> I, I can draw the back of a Bigfoot. That's yeah. all I He's, saw of a Bigfoot. Yeah. You can draw the back of one. Yeah, in Oregon, I saw one. But I, I just wanted to tell a story that Sean knows. It's uh, about a relative on my mother's side. Um, yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, Penelope Van Princess. This has to do with you're talking about the Dutch in New Amsterdam, it's New York, back in the 17th century. So Penelope Van Princess and her husband emigrated from from Holland, 1670s or somewhere. So 1670. Yeah, so they emigrated to New Amsterdam. It was a Dutch. New York. The Dutch had already bought it from the native people. And uh, so they were you know, there for a number of years, and they kept looking across at what's the Atlantic Highlands. There's Fort Hancock there, it's an old fort. So if you're there at the tip of it, you can look and see Manhattan, Skyline, and all that. So these about they got about 15 people together, uh, the Dutch people, and they thought, hey, you know what? It's getting crowded here in New Amsterdam. So it doesn't look like there's much going on over there just across the bay. So they decided to take a small boat with a sail, and they went over, landed on the shore, no, no problem. They were looking around, and they sent two people, I believe, south a little bit, just to scout, because they knew there were native people, right? And um, they came back and said, uh, yeah, we noticed something. There's people arming themselves, and they're aroused, you know, and they're going to start coming this way, I think. So we better leave. Uh, Penelope's husband happened to be sick. I don't know whether it was seasickness or something more serious. So they all decided to split. They said, 
they wanted her to like leave your husband don't worry you know whatever we'll come back for him um, she decided to stay with him and they went back to New Amsterdam so four or five of the Lenape came out and saw them and just no questions asked they just attacked them and her husband was already laying on the beach they killed him and they hit her with an axe in her skull and then somebody cut her with a, a knife or a hatchet across her stomach and okay so they're both dead they go back to their village uh, Penelope wasn't quite dead she was still alive and so night came and she knew they were going to come back and probably finish her off somehow she dragged herself to an old tree a hollow tree she got inside of it the only thing she could do she couldn't walk now sure enough an elder came back with a young brave the next day her husband was still there still dead on the beach and of course they're looking around and they see these dark stains in the sand leading away into the right the tree right they followed they found her she was still breathing still conscious and uh this is what she related later to her children and grandchildren she just said go ahead you know just put me out of my misery and the chief for whatever reason decided not to do that and he, he pulled her out of the tree and carried her back basically took probably deer hide and stitched her stomach up did what he could for her head and she lived there for a couple of years and so the rumor got around in New Amsterdam whatever happened to Penelope because all these other people went back and what happened looking to for him and she wasn't there exactly yeah and so finally I don't know how the communication was but people came back from New Amsterdam met with this group of natives she was still there living with them and the chief asked her she had learned some of the language obviously and said you know you're welcome to stay with us you're like one of us you know the language you know our customs you're welcome to oh if you want go for it you're welcome to you're welcome to uh, stay here it's not a joint it's a cigarette no, thank you. I don't know what you're doing with that. So you got your cigarette. So uh, all right. So this is going on too long. So long story short, uh, she said thank you very much. Probably gave that man who saved her life a big hug. Said goodbye to the people she knew. Went back to New Amsterdam. All right. Well, yeah. All right. So what happened? You know the story of Rip Van Winkle. He woke up and. You know, well, the British flag was replaced by the American flag. But in this case, the British flag replaced the Dutch flag. So there was a man named Richard Stout. He met Penelope. She was probably something of a celebrity. She had this big scar on her head. and you know. She lived with the savages for who knows, right? Yeah, oh yeah. She was like, probably be like, rock star if there status. was TV, if there was like TV show, yeah, right, 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 you know, right. TV podcast right. with Joe Rogan or something. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So, so she ended up marrying Richard Stout. And they did go back to New Jersey with 30 or 40 people, I think. They founded the town of Middletown, New Jersey, around the 1680s, I think. They established the Baptist Church. A lot of people don't know the Baptist Church was formed in Holland or the Netherlands. So they established the Baptist Church in New Jersey. So the reason I'm saying all this, so Penelope had 10 children or nine children they all were put to work on, you know, she, they made their clothes, they grew their crops, they raised their animals, they were totally self-sufficient. And uh, 
So it was one of her great-grandchildren that uh, married into my mother's family, into the Lee family. Oh, wow. So that was back in the early 1700s, I think, 1720s. Ichabod Lee, his name was. Um, so that's the line, part of the lineage on my mother's side. He was side. the father of Isaac? Yes, Ichabod probably was. Which is where you had Oh, you had Lenape? You part Lenape? I... So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, he had to do a no, test I wouldn't say that because she, be she married an Englishman. But there's got to be something in there. Uh, no, so I wouldn't say that. But so, yeah, I mean, we all, we're all related to each other. Yeah. You go back far right. enough, right? It's like, you know, the story, right? Two, four, eight, sixteen, thirteen. Yeah, it's like four yeah. worlds, 14th cousins or something, something like that. Something along that line, yeah. You can yeah. see it in your eyes, though. Well, uh, Grandma Wilson, she had a look, a little bit of a native look to her, a little bit. Yeah. You know, mother, you can read about. Your mother did about look like a native, partly. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You could see it in the eyes, and the cheekbones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. could be. But anyway, the part I don't get, I don't know if I believe it, but you know, uh, people kept the family Bible. They had Bibles if they, you know, if you could afford a Bible. Since Gutenberg, right, he put the Bible into German. It's a good piece of history. 1485, right something like that. So all the records, the births, the deaths, the weddings, right? Any any pertinent information was put in the family Bible. So the it's one the we had was donated to the historical society in Princeton because that's where the family lived till 1920, I guess. But um, anyway, yeah. So the part I don't believe. Uh, supposedly, she lived to be 110 years old. Penelope did. So, and the grandkids would come up and she would let them feel her scars on her stomach. She would tell the story and she had the big dent in her forehead. And Apparently it's pretty common, like, they were, they were kidnapping whites and selling them off to the tribes further west when they got... There was in her marriage, for sure. Yeah, when they got way far west, they were finding all kind of, like, you know, half-bred white and Indian people and right. people that had been sold in as little girls, women that were in their you know, 60s and 70s already, men, all kind of different people, because yeah. they would do that. So when you brought the paperwork, or the, you brought some writing here about this, and I was reading oh, one okay. particular page, and I just happened to read one particular page, and at some point, I believe it was Penelope, who landed by the Verrazano Narrows for a little bit. Oh, okay, that's possible. So the Verrazano, this is just a random coincidence, mm -hmm. okay. but the Verrazano Narrows separate Staten Island from New Jersey and Brooklyn. Right. So she right. was like right, right, right where there. I grew up because oh, I grew up okay. near that, the okay, Verrazano right, Narrows correct. Bridge. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. so that was a Brooklyn's right across from there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So uh, Basil's Because you can either friend. go, when you're going over that bridge and you get over it, you can go this way to go to Brooklyn, you can go this way to go to Long Island, or you can go this way to go to Jersey. Strong right. Island. Right. Mm. Strong, buddy, strong Island, yo. <laughs> my buddy Basil has a good friend that lived right, right there, and they had a rent-controlled apartment just overlooking the Verrazano and the Hudson. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it, I think they were paying, this was this was in the late 80s, but they were paying 500 bucks a month for this beautiful big apartment on like probably oh, wow. the eighth, eighth or ninth floor of this thing that was maybe a block or two north of the Verrazano mm -hmm. Bridge. And we'd go there and hang out and party and it was awesome. 
You know what else? And uh, it's just funny to think I, I used to sit out there on the balcony and look across mm. yeah. <laughs> right there, and that's where you were sitting. That's where I was sitting on the other side, <laughs> looking at you. That's funny. On the on the on one half of the Staten Island side of the Verrazano Bridge. Oh, and that's Dave Powell's place, just in case he hears it. Okay. Hey, Dave. Hi, Dave. Um, Hi, Dave. There, on the He's on an the awesome drummer. On the Staten Island side of the Verrazano Bridge, is they have big stables there. And it's where they keep all the retired police horses from the NYPD. Oh, cool. mm-hmm. And on like certain days, especially if you show up with a kid, so I'm little, and my father will bring me down there, and they'll let you in and see and pet on the retired police horses. Huh. But that's where they keep them, on the Staten Island side of the Verrazano mm-hmm. Bridge. Wow. Mm-hmm. There's just big stables. And you'd never know it because it looks like a military barracks when you mm-hmm. drive up on it right it just looks militaristic keeps everybody away keeps everybody away they're impressive you ever seen them in crowds like how they yeah, yeah oh yeah and they, they they had a pretty pretty I, next a level friend of my father's would rescue them sometimes and up in like i think it was up near um ariel lake ariel oh. and he yeah. has a big stable and you hang out, and you, these horses are like unflappable. Yeah. Mm. Like things you couldn't do with a normal horse. Unflap. Fine command of the language, Albert. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fine command, indeed. So, yeah, they were cool. They were cool. Yeah, I, um, it was about the coronation, I guess, was this morning. I got up early for some reason. Oh, yeah, so, Charles. Yeah. Charles the Did you watch that? Or, uh, yeah, some, some of it. Oh, that's Future history. Yeah. Future yeah. history. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I We're forgotten. I knew this morning. Forgot about it. A coronation. Yeah, they had a whole Calvary section. <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. And then you saw there's giant piles of horse shit, and there's oh, like 4,000 soldiers just like walking towards the horse shit. Oh, oh, like, walking the horse shit. Yeah. Oh, they didn't even freak straight. It was funny. Smash right through it. Right. The, the horses were cool, though. I got a bit of a buzz going. And Me too. And well, there's a history yeah. thing going. So, yeah. I, talking speaking about of, the horses. Speaking oh. of coronation. Okay, you go ahead. 1559, our uh, ancestor on my mother's side again, he was the Lord Mayor of London. And there was a three day party. In 1559, it was basically a three day party for the coronation of Elizabeth I. So, he was like out in the front leading people down to Westminster. And uh, he was only there for two years. Don't know why. Now, the but, Lord... Uh, his name was Thomas Lee. There's still a Lord Lee. Mayor of London that exists in the city of London that's... They're elected every, what, for four or eight-year terms or something? I don't know. But in the city of London, you've heard about that, right? Like, there's, like, the Vatican City, which is its own sovereign sort of nation. Oh, yeah. oh they have one of those? Yeah. In the Vatican City, but London has a a squared off area, which is the city of London, which is its own sovereign nation, and all the banking is controlled from there, and it was back then. And if you were the Lord Mayor of London, you were in charge of all the banking coming out of London in 1559. So that guy was more than likely an asshole. Well, could be. Could be. We'll never know. I like where you went with that. It was either him or his son, though, that packed up and shot over here in the 1600s, though. So he might have done something else because he, he definitely hightailed it out of there, came over here when it wasn't pleasant to be here yet. So, yeah, definitely. That was, that was 160 that years later. 
That's so something. You Joseph could... Lee came here in 1709. Okay. Quite a bit later, you know, but somebody, somebody in that line. Well, anyway. Yeah, yeah. And there's my dog being an asshole. And talking about horses, I, I just got to tell a oh. bit of Dalmatian history. Because okay. whatever, five years ago, we were we were oh. honored with the presence of Ringo, who's half Dalmatian and half Labrador. And he's an unusual dog, and he was a challenging dog. And that made me start looking up the history of these two breeds and... What I didn't know about the Labradors is that their initial thing and their initial breeding was for um, up in the northern parts of Europe, in the North Atlantic over there, mm -hmm. the Labradors were bred to retrieve fishing nets in the ocean. So like, you know, imagine jumping into the water and swimming no. out and grabbing onto a fishing net and bringing it back. That's... And that's why they're water dogs and they're right. good at swimming because they would be swimming through the ocean, you know, right. when it's full ice. But the more interesting part of that was the Dalmatian. I, I knew about labs and the lab personality, but there's something with the Dalmatians. And the thing with the Dalmatians, well, skip all the way back to uh, to Egypt, there's, there's hieroglyphics and images of spotted dogs running with the chariots going into battle back in Egypt and Dalmatians have been tied to horses and been stable dogs mm -hmm. all the way probably 4,000 years I mean if you're going to follow that and nobody knew about them they were used as sentry and guard dogs like 500 years ago in Dalmatia and uh, they were discovered and then brought back to Europe and used as carriage dogs and that's how they ended up being associated with the fire, well, firemen and, and, and the carriages and stuff, you know, back in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, you would keep a Dalmatian around. That's why the firehouse had a Dalmatian with it, because they were all pulled by all the carriages to put out oh, fires and carry the firemen were... They used the Dalmatians to protect the horses, so the Dalmatian shop was to sit on point and keep the horses safe, but they were, that's the history of the Dalmatian. It goes back to Egypt, running into battle with horses, and they'd been alongside horses and hunter and gatherers for the next 3,000 years, and then they discovered them 500 years ago and brought them over to Europe and um, inbred them for 500 years, and now they're all deaf and fucked up. But, <laughs> well, a couple of years ago, I read a little bit of like the history of the Mastiffs. Okay. So uh, I grew up with two Mastiffs. Kim's family has a Mastiff. Okay. So in, in, in England, the English Mastiff specifically, one of the reasons why they tend to be like a gentle dog, so they were, they were bred for battle, yeah. But they were bred not to ever attack the enemy, but to literally pin them down and look scary, but to never touch them. So that the soldiers could come and, and take them okay. and say, okay, you're going to be prisoners now. So they would just sit on, on the, the enemy soldier. And these are big dogs. 150, 60 pound dogs. Exactly. Yeah. So they sit there and growl at them, <laughs> big ones. look scary. So you're either... Paralyzed because they're on top of you, right. or you're paralyzed by fear. Don't this move, or I'll rip dog. your throat. They're probably trained to take you down anyway. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah right. I had dogs or ever. if you go back to the 15th century, you probably had armor on, 
and that's Possibly, another weight, yeah. and then the dog on top of that, mm. you're not going to yeah. tend to get up. <laughs> no, you're not going anywhere. Right? Wow. Hmm. And there's every angle you can take with history. It's neat mm-hmm. stuff. It is. Seems like that bit or So while we're on the topic of Native Americans, we might have talked about this on a past podcast, but if we could bri- briefly go down the, the path of Tom Quick and retell some of those stories... So he was, he was another one who started off friendly with the Indians, mm-hmm. right? I, as much as I can remember of the story, I know I went on about this like in the first one back in the 30s and another yeah. one back in the 60s or 70s, but I'll try to dive as deep as I can into my brave on the story, or, or my brain, into the story as much as I can remember. And as much as I remember is... It must have been sometime in the early, mid-1700s. And Tom's father was a pastor, and he came up north of the Water Gap, like Milford area, I believe, and set up a farm. And at this point, there hadn't been a lot of colonial you know, push into the area, and it was all mostly Native Americans still. And they lived alongside him and got along with him and it was like oh here's one weird family from you know somewhere down in philadelphia and and they seem cool whatever and they all got along but tom was about five years old when this happened mm-hmm. and he got really friendly with with the, you know the tribal lenape that were up there and he spent more time with them growing up and knew knew the language knew everything you know about about them. He was just. This was Milford area. In between Water Gap and Milford, like Shawnee up okay. to Milford, probably right. that whole stretch of the river, and inland on both sides, I'm sure. But that was the stomping ground, I think. But uh, so from the time he was five, he grew up, and there was an Indian kid his age that he grew up with, and they were good friends. His name was Musquink. I might be saying that wrong, but anyway, as I read it, his name was Musquink. And his father was the, he was, you know, the head of that local, you know, village. And uh, they grew up together. And, you know, Tom had spent more time running around in the woods and having fun and, you know, playing on the river. And what happened following that, this is probably one of the uprisings, like the 1750s, was it? I forget when we were talking earlier, but... In, in one of those two uprisings, it was probably the mid-1700s. first one, the first uprising. Okay, so it would have been the first uprising. So, um, more families had started to move up into the area and colonize over that next 10 years. And, well, the locals at that point, you know, Native people there were getting sick of it, and they organized an uprising. And in that uprising... The story goes that Tom was walking down the river, it was in the winter, with his uncle and his father, and Muskwink ambushed them and shot Tom's father in the head, which had been his best friend for, you know, 10 years. And that, like, tweaked Tom, and I guess his uncle and him got away, but he swore that he was going to spend the rest of his life avenging his father's death, and at that point just turned into a serial killer. And there's a lot of stories about you know, the different ways and the different things. The only two I remember, I told him last time, but I'll tell him again, that, you know, he was, he was a clever guy. 
um, he would stash rifles, and then he'd go in, he'd stash rifles on the way into a, you know, an encampment or town, and he'd cause a ruckus and get everyone to chase him out, and then he'd stop wherever he had the rifles stashed, pull them out, drop a couple of people, keep running, they'd follow him, get to another tree, pull out a couple more, drop a couple people. Right, because at that time you had a load of guns, so one shot, they'd come charge, and he fires yeah. once, they so run, he, there's a full body, bam, right. bam, yeah. bam. Yeah, and that's it, so you yeah. know, he had flintlocks, and yeah, he'd, right. he'd have them ready, loaded to go, so yeah. he could, you know, drop a few shots. And the, the other story I remember, and if you look, if you look them up and find all the older stories and stuff that are, you know, <laughs> written in the pen of the time, there's there's quite a few accounts. Um, I, I got a visual of this guy, like this maniac, just walking out through the woods with an arm load of guns. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm doing this. And he from over here, you know. So all the locals, you know, were like, because after that first uprising, everyone was like, yay, and he became the Avenger of the Delaware, is what all the settlers called him, but all the Indians in the area, native people in the area were, um, you know, this guy's Satan yeah. to them. Yeah. And he, uh, it, supposedly the story goes, it could just be, you know, some made up bullshit, but um, he swore he was going to kill a hundred Indians before he died. That's what he wanted to do. Hmm. And the other story I remember is that uh, the kind of shit he would do, he set up a, a big log on the bank of the river and he was splitting it, you know, trying to split it in half and he had wedges in it. And some three or four guys came by, and they, Indian guys. And this he, one he, sounds like a tall tale, where they got their fingers jammed in yeah, the logs, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he's, yeah, he's like, help me split the log apart. And they're all like pulling on it, and he knocked the wedge out and pinched their, their hands in the, the log and then killed them. But supposedly he just rained down terror, but he ended up getting smallpox late in his life, and he knew he was going to die. And this is the one that really fucked everyone up. He took uh, he took every blanket he could get his hands on, loaded them into a wagon, and wiped them all over yeah, right. all of his shit. And it was going into winter, and he rode through the Wyoming Valley and dropped blankets everywhere covered with smallpox. And supposedly, you know, tens of thousands of people were killed by this. So it was the first use of germ warfare, you know, intentionally. Back then, at least it's recorded. It's just more fucked up history. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, throwing that out there. So there's that. Um, yeah. And of course, land of the free and the home of the brave. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and supposedly, you know, there's we still a, a big it. contingent of people trying to get the statue in Milford taken down of him. Yeah. The Tom Quick mm. Monument. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's all what's You know, high. they should just put their own plaques up next to it. This guy did this. Yeah, that's that. a good idea. Like yeah, we yeah, should go. We should do it for them. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, there's your yeah, there's history. That's your service. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> there are two things that made that real for me: the idea of native people actually living where we were occupying land, uh, Mercer County, north of Trenton. Um, I had a neighbor. He was kind of a Scary guy. I was like 12 and he was like in his 80s, 80s probably. But he was born the year after the Civil War ended. Amazing. So he was born in 1866. And he uh, had about a two-acre two garden in back oh, of his house. So he had the walking plow and every, probably in the 1940s, 1950s, 
probably that was he exhausted it. But what he would find every time in the spring, he'd be plowing, he'd turn up either uh, stones that were used for grinding corn or nuts, and he would arrowheads all over the place, spear points. And he, I remember he brought us in, my sister and I, my brother, and he had this uh, big piece of wood on the wall, and he had all these spear points and uh, grinding stones mounted on the wall. Neat. Yeah, it was just, and then our neighbor, uh, about a quarter mile up the road, we used to go over there and play a lot. They had a, a stone about three quarters the size of this table, and it was about that thick, about two and a half feet thick. Can I interject whole, one quick the whole thing? Inside of it was worn down about. Pastels. This is. So it was yeah, a grinding stone. It was a big one too, but I'm just going to interject one yeah, thing, sure. just for the location on this. This is right where you leave New Jersey on the 95 bridge to go to Pennsylvania. Right there is where this entire farm and yeah, well, there's a know, couple strange neighborhood that were tributaries yeah, yeah, of creeks. Delaware. Yeah, so they had encampments there, obviously. You know, there's supposedly yeah. one was there a trading post right where the what is the creek there that goes to the preserve? That's the oh, Tonkanic or Tobyhannock Creek where that feeds into the Lehigh. Yeah, mean, I've read about this trading post a few times. When you look it on Google Earth, you're like. That's where I'd build trading posts. Like I, I always mm -hmm. wanted to go up there and mm -hmm. look around. And It'd be a good place for a metal detector if it's I, legal. May, yeah, may, probably. I, I don't know where exactly it is. And I uh, talked to one of the Lenape guys on Facebook because I'm a part of that one one of their groups, and he didn't seem to know anything about it. But I've read about it. Mm -hmm. It's on those maps that you see in a preserve. You know, they the can just grab it. Well, yeah, you know, up in the Pocono Lake Preserve, we do masonry in there, and you'll see okay. a lot of these old maps, and right. they talk about the, it, it, I forget what they called it, the trail that went from Hazleton to Milford to, through the Great Swamp, because that big swamp there they talk about, when the Indians mm. know about it, you can read about this. Probably a lot of mm. shit deep down, yeah. Um, yeah where that village would have been, yeah, I'm yeah, sure it would have, there would have been, it just makes sense, like, where the location is, right, where they're talking about that trail would have came down, the river's there, would have been a confluence of, like... I've got a movement, you know. I've got a fun story. It's a culmination of three different stories. Like we're about five The last one, and and then I'll I'll just say one quick thing too after that. But I can probably do this in five minutes. But uh, right around the same time, well, around the time the Anasazi thing fell apart in the Southwest, is around the same time. And there's this book, it's in the Belvedere Library, and I read through it, and I should have just taken pictures of every page. It's like a 200-page book from about 1870, 1880, and it's a history of the Lenape Indians. And in it, it's got a chapter that talks about their origins. And their origin story that I read in there, if it's, you know, to be believed, is they came from a land far to the west beyond the Great River, which is the same time the Anasazi culture collapsed. But their story is that they came from that area, they came across, they crossed the Great River, and interesting, but so it went in this book, they met, they met a bunch of giants through like Ohio and that area, and they asked for passage, and and this is where all the, you know, mounds and the, you know, you've heard about the mounds and yeah, the giants that are buried there. Yeah. And they're all connected to the copper culture up in 
Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah, Mackinac, the Mackinac mine on Isle Royale. And there's a whole thing about that where guys traced, he did satellite images and found they started about 7,000 years ago because you could see the tailings going out into the lake. They imaged them. So 7,000 years ago, they were pulling copper out up there. But as this group of people came across, they crossed the river, they encountered these giants, they negotiated with them. Giants, they were big people. They were like seven footers, right, right. eight footers, whatever. They're, and they said, okay, you can cross, whatever. And then it was such an exodus that they freaked out. You know, the giants that were the culture that was in that whole area, you know, what east of the Mississippi. And a battle broke out, or a war broke out between them. And the numbers were so great of the people that were leaving the southwest because there was a drought hitting that area. And they were heading for the east coast. And this is in the Lenape history. Yeah, this is book. interesting. Um, they drove them all the way down the Mississippi Valley and conquered them. And then continued back to the east coast and mixed in with everything that was sitting on the east coast. So that was an interesting tidbit of a story. And Almost I, it makes sense of what happened to them people because all of a sudden they don't know where they well, went. Well, they disappeared, but right. they're supposedly, that makes according, sense. Just showed according up and to chased Lenape away, history right? that was recorded in this book, history. in 18, the book's 1880 or so, and it's an extensive history. They just sat down like with every this. Lenape. They talk they about crossing the great spine of the universe. Right? right? Yeah. In this, in this, there, isn't there a creation story they crossed the Rocky Mountains first before the Great River? Mm-hmm. Unless that was Iroquois, but I've read about that, some, that some could of these be migrations. Too, but, I mean, there was a massive drought that hit the Southwest. That whole area turned to Savannah yeah, from yeah. being, you know, it was canal systems all over the Southwest. Amazing. The Pima Indians and the Hohokam. And the Hohokam is really a Pima word that means many people all gone. You make the first syllable, you say it twice, and that makes it plural. And Hoka means people all gone. Hohoka means many people all gone. But they've also the Anasazi. Everyone left in Exodus, you know, because it dried up in the Southwest, supposedly to the East Coast. And in the story in the book from them in the 1880s is that, you know, they crossed... They had a big battle with all these dudes in the Ohio Valley and wherever. I don't know if there's even an Ohio Valley. Ohio into Pennsylvania and down the Mississippi. And then they eventually ended up back here. And supposedly that's the Cherokee are down south there too. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they all ended up back here. So I'm going to go find that book. It's been 25 years since I've seen that book, but I, I sat there in the library and read it like twice. The only other thing I have to say is if uh, anyone from Turtle Island here before, you know, well, pre-Columbian people, if anything's been offensive and anything we've been talking about here, we apologize, but I have nothing right. but respect and reverence. Thank exactly, yeah. yeah. Thank so, you. Amen. Yeah. And... Uh, well, I gotta go. I don't know how long you guys are gonna stay, but Albert. Yeah, we're about good. Thank you, Kim. Nice meeting you, Sean. You guys going Tom, over there to see, see the music? Mary. Mary. Thank you. You going over to Musicville? Hey, everybody, whoever's listening. See you Friday. It's been real. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. See you Friday. Powell. Yeah. Tom Isaac Powell. Friday day is May thirteenth. <coughs> you got it. And then stage. what's after that? Key stage May twentieth. Yeah. Beaver Run June fifth. Where the walls are. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Walls come tumbling back. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Don't play too loud. Yeah. Hey, have a good night, everybody. That's what you have to do. Take care, y'all. Well, there goes another one, folks. What a fun episode 
of the Planet Shivers podcast to not only record, but to listen back to. Uh, I appreciate all these people who came on the show. They're awesome and some of my closest friends. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Sean, Don, Tom, Isaac, Mary, Emily, and Kim for hanging out and being on the show. Like I said in the beginning, I love these roundtables. They are they're pretty great. If you want to hear more of the Planet Shivers podcast, you can find it on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. And you can see more of what I'm up to on Instagram at Albert Shivers and www.albertshivers.com. Also, while you're on Instagram, look up the band Pow Wow, Pain of Wisdom in a World of Waste. They got a lot of great shows coming up and you don't want to miss them. Farmcore, come on. I will talk to you guys on the next episode. Episode 100 is the next episode. Until then, take care of yourself and take care of somebody else.